0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week marks a big anniversary for one of the best psychological thrillers ever made, and I would argue one of the best movies ever made.
1: I'm Jeff Braun. Sherlock Holmes has a sister, as it turns out, and she has a very fun new movie on Netflix. I'll tell you all about Enola Holmes.
0: And I checked out a super geeky documentary on Netflix about video games called The High Score. I'll tell you if it does, in fact, earn... That high score. a Homicide. There are seven deadly sins, Captain Gluttony, Greed, Sloth, Wrath, Pride, Lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these.
1: You wanna come take a look at this? Oh, good. Just two murders away from completing this masterpiece. Let's finish it. Brad Pitt ah! Morgan Freeman. This isn't gonna have a happy ending. Seven
0: Reddit R. It was 25 years ago this week, September 22nd, 1995, that saw the release of the movie Seven. Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt as detectives William Somerset and David Mills chasing after a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as inspiration for his grisly acts of violence. Gwyneth Paltrow plays Mills' wife, Tracy, and Kevin Spacey plays John Doe. It always surprises me when i go back to rotten tomatoes to see that this is only at 82 percent and that's good but as far as i'm concerned this movie is a masterpiece from director david fincher i bet you i've watched it at least 50 times i never get bored of seven
1: jeff what about you agreed it is a masterpiece and i've only seen it i would say four or five times and I think it's jumped into the number two spot for me on the Fincher list, behind only Zodiac, which is one of the most underrated movies I would say. Well, as for Seven, I, I watched it this week again. I was really impressed with Morgan Freeman. That's you know sounds like an obvious thing to say because he's always so good, but uh, he seems like he's especially good in this. He's it's a just a, a role tailor made for him. Um, Brad Pitt also great, and I was seeing young Brad Pitt made me feel old he looks so much younger now when you rewatch seven um so that's just time slipping away from us even though it's maybe kind of gimmicky with the seven deadly sins plot it doesn't feel gimmicky at all it's kind of brilliant how the story unfolds and the last half hour of this movie is just simply genius i mean uh, i hate to give credit to kevin spacey at this point but he's very effective he's you know although probably more effective the first time because i would have had no idea who he was even though the usual suspects came out first almost no one saw that in theaters so i mean i don't know about you but i I saw seven in theaters and then the usual suspects on vhs a few months later And, and when i saw that i was like hey isn't that the serial killer from seven Uh, So that's how he got into Kevin Spacey. And with the 25 years from then until now, with having seen so many other movies in between, it really struck me this time just how dark that ending is i mean my god the killer wins brad pitt is just destroyed mentally and emotionally morgan freeman who should be enjoying his retirement witnesses a couple of the most disturbing things he's ever seen and uh, i mean we all know what happens to poor Gwyn- gwyneth paltrow so um it's still mind blowing in that regard and it's just there's just so many his fincher's attention to detail always makes his movie just a cut above everything else and 7 is it's it's brilliant it just is
0: yeah it's such an effective roller coaster and i think very much like die hard did for a new generation of action films i think 7 set a new benchmark in terms of quality filmmaking for psychological thrillers Um, I mean, just the opening scene, right? It introduces us to Somerset and how methodical he is and how crappy things are in his part of the world. It is figuratively and literally super dark because the scene is very darkly lit and it's grungy and bleak and sad. And then it's got that bone-chilling intro, which was actually used in my TV production class as an example of how to do that kind of thing. My instructor says, hey, what's the best movie intro ever and we say i don't know seven and he says yeah you damn right it's seven let's watch this now 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 try to do something like that to which of course none of us could because it's brilliant but yeah creepiest intro ever still gives me chills freeman and pitt have such wonderful chemistry together and somerset and mills as characters play so well together because somerset is ready to retire and he's just kind of given up on everything. And then in comes Mills with this brash sort of impulsive optimism. And he seemed to inject, I think some new life into Freeman's character. And at the same time, Freeman's character helped to ground Mills a little bit. I love the library scene with the classical music playing in the background. I mean, who would have thought watching someone make photocopies could be so mesmerizing. I just love that scene. It's one of my favorite moments in the entire film partly because it just looks like a fun place to, to hang out <laughs> after uh, you know overnight in a library under with under some dim lights with some nice music playing in the background and security guards playing poker. Mills pours uh, Somerset a glass of wine. Remember when he goes to Mills's apartment and he says Mills says, "You want a beer?" Somerset no it says no wine, please." But he pours it in a regular glass, not a wine glass, fills it to the top. and when Somerset picks it up, And realizes what he is holding. It's just such this genius little subtle moment. You can see the wheels spinning where he thinks, what has he poured me here? Because you don't pour wine into a regular glass. Never mind, fill it to the top. That's a ton of wine. And then as the two characters come together throughout the film, they eventually befriend each other. Even calling each other by their first name eventually. And it starts to look hopeful and then it comes, like, because it's raining. The entire movie, it's just raining, raining, raining. Yeah. And then the sun finally comes out. And then it comes all crashing down with one of the most iconic scenes in cinematic history. Give me your gun. Come on over there. Put the, put the gun I down. I saw you with a box. What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, uh, what's in the box? Not you give me the What's gun? in the f***ing box? Give me the gun. He just told not You lie! You're a liar! Shut up! All I gotta say is what's in the box. I mean, that scene, just every time I watch it, I I can just watch it on YouTube. It is so intense, and Brad Pitt really showed his acting range in this film as this just kind of goofball, fun cop who rolls around on the floor with his dogs, to a man just who's gone completely unhinged at the end when he realizes what is happening. I just love that scene. Intense performances all around, too. Like, a couple of cool supporting actors, like Richard Roundtree as the no-nonsense district attorney. Uh, What does he say? That question is... uh, preposterous to the point of being offensive, or I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. I just love his. He has like barely any dialogue, but, but he delivers solid gold. The late Reg E. Kathy as the morgue oh, yeah. doctor, uh, talking about a hematoma in the duodenum. The late R. Lee Ermey as the police captain. And then John C. McGinley, Dr. Cox from Scrubs. He's the captain of the SWAT team. Uh, I mean, this movie is just so tense. Everything about it, the music, when the music is going, is unrelenting. Just this overwhelming sense of dread. And uh, thanks to this movie, I know about the seven deadly sins. So I I could sing this movie's praises forever. I love all of David Fincher's work, but seven for me is number one. It's probably my... No, it isn't probably. It is my second favorite film of all time. Right behind The Matrix, of course. But, uh, yeah, Seven's the kind of movie that I could put on almost any time. And it's weird for me to say that a movie like Seven is a comfort movie (laughs) for me because it's so bleak.
1: But I love it. A lot of people, yeah, don't don't think, like, why would you ever rewatch that? I was telling my girlfriend about this. She's like, I hate that movie. How could you possibly watch that again? It's just so miserable. She's like, I've never felt so bad leaving a movie theater as I did after the... I saw seven. So um, yeah, uh, like I said, Zodiac's my favorite. I've been watching a few Fincher movies this year. I also watched a uh, rewatch gone girl. That's an underrated movie as well. We forget how good gone girl was. And this week I watched seven and also the game. I've seen fight club. I think the most by a long shot. Um, I've, I like panic room. I've only seen it once. I didn't really care for Benjamin button, but maybe I should give that another chance. And the other two we did are uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and alien three. And I've not seen those cause I'm not an alien movie kind of guy and I saw the Swedish Dragon Tattoo movies and that was enough Dragon Tattoo for me. Although I, I feel like I should go back and watch that Fincher one too because I watched the trailer again this week. It's got the one of the best teaser trailers I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. So he's, he's got such... A, he's got done 10 movies and I don't know, seven of them are awesome. So like r- really beyond what you get out of even any other good movie. So yeah, and he's, he might have a new one. He's got a new one coming to Netflix possibly as early as next month. They've not set a set date on that yet, but it's going to be a bit different. It's called Mank, and it's about the guy that co-wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles and about how he had a fight for screen credit or something like that. Like, I, I, I don't see a lot of, you know murder and beheadings and that sort of thing in the, the making of the Citizen Kane movie. movie, But that's supposedly coming out on uh, Netflix in October.
0: That's interesting. I know that in terms of his other films, you mentioned The Game. Love The Game. Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. That is a great movie. Panic Room is also, it might be my, well, no. It would be The Game first and after Seven. And then I think Panic Room with Jodie Foster and uh, Forrest Whitaker just because it's super stylish. The way that he, the, the tricks that he employs with the camera and that are uh, something else. It's worth watching again just to really enjoy the art of his filmmaking. Uh, don't forget, did you mention The Social Network?
1: Oh, no, I forgot to say The Social Network. Yeah, that's a really good one too. And that's another one that's sort of like, it's it's that and um, Benjamin Button that, you know, sort of don't fit in with the rest because there's no violence in them, right? There's, they're, Nice movies about, you know, normal people, which you don't get a lot. And the social network is so good, and it probably should have won Best Picture that year. It lost, uh, was that the year that uh, the King's Speech won, I think? Oh, that was a tough year. A lot of people were aghast about that. I I think I'd throw my vote towards the social network for sure.
0: Yeah, and just looking at David Fincher's career, he directed a ton of music videos. I'm looking at some of the, the videos that he directed. Okay, so listen to this. He directed... Uh, Madonna's Express Yourself. Paula Abdul, Straight Up. Um, Don Henley, The End of the Innocence. Paula Abdul, Cold Hearted, which is one of my favorite music videos of all time. Boy, did I love that when I was a uh, uh, teenager. I had a big crush on Paula Abdul. Aerosmith, janie has yeah. Got a Gun. Great oh music video. Madonna, Vogue, Billy Idol, Cradle of Love. Wow. George Michael, and- Freedom
1: 90. <laughs> And of course, now he's, um, you know, he, he was sort of a pioneer for filmmakers switching to TV with uh, House of Cards, and he's been in charge of that Mindhunter show. So, and you know, he's like crossed that boundary. That used to be a, it's like, oh my God, if you were a, a an A list director like him to make a TV show, that would have been a step down. But he's like, no, nah, it's not. It's just a different way to do things.
0: Yeah, I tried to watch that Mindhunter. I, I would like to get into it again. I just found it. The first episode was really interesting but also really slow. And I think at the time yeah. I started watching I, I had Mindhunter and Ozark on the brain so I watched an episode of Mindhunter and then I watched an episode of Ozark and then I just plowed through the rest of Ozark and I uh, sort of forgot
1: yeah. about
0: Mindhunter. Now they've already I would got say, 2 seasons. Uh,
1: and season two is better than season one. So even if you're sort of enjoying season one, I would say it gets quite a bit better in season two.
0: Up next, Sherlock Holmes has a sister. Jeff Braun's got details. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Up next, in our next segment, Jeff is going to tell you about Sherlock Holmes's little sister. I just want to quickly tell you about this first because I got distracted this week by a documentary series about video games. I started watching that ratchet show last week, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest, sort of origin story starring Sarah Paulson. And I only watched one episode last week. I watched another episode this week. I enjoyed that, but uh, I meant to finish that season quickly. And then Schitt's Creek cleaned up at the Emmys. So I started watching that, watched a couple episodes of that. Season six, by the way, of Schitt's Creek uh, debuts on Netflix on October 7th. But then I didn't feel like watching either of those one day this week. So instead, I turned to My List on Netflix, and I saw High Score, a six-part documentary about the history of video games. (laughs) Video games afford you the opportunity to, to start over. In games, we all start at the exact same place to play together because we're all playing by the same
1: rules. Long before the internet, a handful of visionaries reimagined the world. We felt that we were creating a world-changing technology. I had no idea what to expect. Pac-Man is so cute. Oh, it is,
0: it's so cute. People no longer played video games, they played Nintendo.
1: It all started when our hero, Mario, had a very strange dream. Having a fast console wasn't
0: enough for Sega. They needed a new hit game. You'd see kids screaming, Sega! Sega! They woke up Nintendo. We have the biggest consumer electronics company on the planet. Coming after us? Awesome. It is a sick video game. Shame on people that produce that trash. (laughs) I made the worst game of all time. High Score debuted on Netflix August 19th, so I finally decided, yeah, let's do this. So six episodes, and it doesn't spend any time focusing on today's games. This was a trip down memory lane, and it actually kind of worked out perfect for me because it essentially covered everything I would have played. Episode one was about sort of the the beginning of video games and the Atari episode 2 was about the Nintendo Entertainment System episode 3 was role playing games like Final Fantasy episode 4 focused on the Sega Genesis and the uh, the you know, debut of 16-bit gaming and sports games like how john madden football came to be that's actually a really neat story episode five was about street fighter 2 mortal Kombat, violence in video games and i remember that was a huge uh, part of my teenage years going to the back to the arcade to play mortal Kombat. and then episode six was about the first person shooter uh, games like wolfenstein and doom and now there are just so many of them call of duty for example so yeah i really enjoyed this series um, it just it was a great trip of nostalgia i think It wasn't perfect. They spend a lot of time focusing too much on these little side stories that they were telling rather than the history of the game. And I know that the side stories gave an example and gave some color to the history of the game, but I wasn't so much interested in that. But it was really cool to find out how some of the stuff was created and how quickly some of it was created and, and also how painstaking other parts of it were. And just stuff that you never would have thought of as somebody just, you know, we always just played the games. So if you like video games at all if you played these games i think it's worth a look at least like you maybe just pick and choose if you only ever played nintendo well then watch the second episode if you only ever played sega watch episode four for example so yeah definitely worth checking out high score on netflix six episodes super fun up next 11 from stranger things trades in her powers uh or psychic powers for the power of deduction you are listening to the couch potatoes
1: welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brett and of course the couch potatoes love a good sherlock holmes story so imagine how thrilled it was this week to see netflix had a new one sort of called enola holmes
0: a week ago i awoke mother to find that my mother was missing and she did not return i'm presently on the way to collect my brothers minecraft and sherlock Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother, he will have all the answers.
1: Enola, where's your hat and your gloves?
0: Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch, and I have no gloves.
1: My God.
0: A wild woman brought up a wild child. We'll make her acceptable for society. She seems intelligent.
1: There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours, or the path
0: others choose for you. Time to find my mother. The game is afoot.
1: Enola Holmes is the teenage sister of Sherlock and a detective in her own right. The movie is based on a book series that came out in the 2000s, and Enola is a new character in those books. She does not appear in the original Arthur Conan Doyle stories. So that's a bold move, but it paid off. The book series was successful, and I see no reason why this movie shouldn't be a hit for Netflix. It stars Stranger Things as is Millie Bobby Brown as Enola, Henry Cavill, a.k.a. Superman, as Sherlock, Helena Bonham Carter as their mom, and Sam Cla who played Finnick in The Hunger Games as the other brother, Mycroft. Another notable character from the Sherlock Holmes universe is the Scotland Yard detective Lestrade, played here by Adil Akhtar. The cast also includes Fiona Shaw as a very mean school teacher. Now, when she appeared, I immediately was reminded of the British comedy show Fleabag because she had a small role in that and gave a very funny performance. And her appearance is no coincidence on that front because the director, Harry Bradbeer, also directed Fleabag. Nor is her inclusion the only nod to that show in fact one of the things you'll notice right out of the gate in this movie is that Anola holmes often breaks the fourth wall looking straight into the camera and talking to us the audience that of course is the same format that fleabag used to great effect and they both do it to great effect for comedic and dramatic purposes. So, what's the movie about? The setup, as we heard in the clip there, Enola is a 16-year-old sister of Sherlock and Mycroft. They're both grown men who set off on their own a decade ago. They're quite a bit older than she is, as she was just a little girl when they left. She's lived in the countryside with her mom, the mother teaching her all sorts of things that'll come in handy for a detective. Enola Holmes is a self-sufficient young lady. She's still a teenager, so she has some normal teenage issues, but she's very capable of a great many things that other girls her age are not one day the mom disappears and enola sets out on a quest to find her First, though, Mycroft tries to force her to go live in a finishing school, but she ain't having that. On her journey, she encounters a young nobleman, a teenage boy who's about to become or be made a lord. When, while they are bickering opposite, she can't seem to get him out of her mind. He's trying to escape his family. He wants to choose a different path and all that. There's also some political intrigue regarding a progressive new bill that would give women more rights. Enola's mom is also shown to be a champion for that cause. And through it all, Enola has to find clues and solve one mystery to get to the next variously hindered and helped by the people she meets along the way, as well as her brothers who keep popping up. The execution of the movie is very impressive, especially for a Netflix movie. We've always said these Netflix movies, a lot of them feel like they're 75 or 80% of a real movie, something missing. I did not find that to be the case here. It looks gorgeous, stunningly so. It all leaps off the screen, whether they're in the countryside or the middle of London. A lot of care went into how this movie looks, and it pays off. It's like a Crosby, some... Between some of the prettier shots in Lord of the Rings and, you know, a whimsical Wes Anderson set decoration. The movie also cracks along at a thrilling pace, I thought, which is good for an adventure movie. It's a great blend of action scenes and quieter, you know, clue-solving talking scenes. There are a lot of quick flashbacks as Anola piece of stuff together. There are a lot of inserts of title cards and little animations and things that really keeps the movie, you know, popping. You just can't get bored by it. And most importantly, there's Millie Bobby Brown's performance. The movie hinges on it and She's fantastic. She became famous because of Stranger Things a few years ago, where her performance... While entertaining, is also pretty subdued. You know, she plays this traumatized girl with magic powers trying to suddenly fit in with teenagers in the 80s. Here, she's much more boisterous and much more expressive, and Millie Bobby Brown is very good at it. It's a charming, captivating performance. The perfect role for her, and I'm glad she found something outside of Stranger Things that can really showcase her talent. Because one thing that bums me out about seeing kids in movies or TV shows is... Knowing that so few will go on to a notable career, this I think will definitely help her with that. Uh, it, it's just got to you. So the movie's two hours. It's a lot of fun. It's also a really great family film, maybe not for very young children as there's some violence later in the movie that's kind of PG-13, but it, it's a movie that the whole family will enjoy. I know I sure did, and since there are a bunch of books in this book series, I do really hope that it's a home run for Netflix and they make a couple of more because I'm giving Enola Holmes four couch cushions out of five, Brett. Um, I, I won't rank it in our series of... Sherlock Holmes stuff yet because we like the show elementary. We like the uh, bundled in incumbersnot movie or TV show from Britain, right? So this 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 ranks up there. It fits in well with those things. It's it's good good Holmes action.
0: Right on. I do want to watch it. I think I just I had the the high score on the brain this week and shit's creek. So but maybe this weekend I'll watch Enola Holmes because I've been wanting to watch a movie and I whenever I go into like Crave or start Browsing the available movies through all of the various streaming platforms, like I just yeah. can't decide. I end up blowing them out all out, and then I just grab the Avengers off my shelf and put that on. So
1: <laughs> that's why it's fun to like. That's why I do a thing like, oh, I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to watch David Fincher movies for the next month or whatever, just just to make it easier to decide. Because my God, you always hear these studies about how much time we waste in our lives standing in lineups. The yeah. amount of time we waste scrolling through. Trying to pick a show or a movie was has got to be the most depressing stat on the planet.
0: Probably, yeah. And um, I'm just thinking now to how... Usually, I bet you it takes me 30 minutes to pick... If I want to watch, because sometimes I can't decide. Do I want to watch a new show or do I want to watch a movie? Okay, so first I got to check Netflix, see what they have. All right, (laughs) that that's a possible contender. Now let's go into Crave. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that. Hmm. Maybe let's see what Prime Video has. And then I can't decide because I've set aside like eight movies, and I can't decide. Do I want to watch Creed or do I want to watch Murder on the Orient Express?
1: Oh, let's watch Avengers: Infinity War for the
0: hundredth time.
1: That's what I always do. I'll, I'll do a thing where at 2 in the afternoon, it's like, oh, my God, I really want to watch Creed tonight. Yes. And then it gets to 8 o'clock, and I was like, yeah, I don't, don't really want to watch Creed anymore. And then I just <laughs> end up watching Office reruns that I've <laughs> seen a thousand times. Yeah, I'm sure we're not alone there. No. That wasn't the only thing I watched this week, uh, Brett. While well, we got a couple of minutes here. I'll tell you about uh, the show Intelligence, this new David Schwimmer show about British-U.S. intelligence agencies. And of course, like I said, it's called Intelligence.
0: Answering yes or no, what is your favorite film? The Greatest Showman. When was the last long-term relationship you had? Oh, me? Ooh. probably like me, Graham. These are our top six suspects. I always think it must be quite stressful being a terrorist. Wah, wah,
1: wah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you have to let go. Sweet.
0: Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Looks like I'm finally rubbing you
1: off. Rubbing off on you. You're rubbing rubbing off on
0: me.
1: You wish. Intelligence is a show from England airing now in Canada on Showcase. They are two episodes in. And uh, as is a a sitcom, it's the sort of thing you can jump in on now, even if you did miss the first couple, although you can probably catch them on demand or something, depending on your setup. There are only six half-hour episodes total, as anyway, so it's an easy watch, not a lot of commitment required. It's a workplace comedy created by Nick Mohammed, a Brit who has a long IMDB page of British shows. If you watch a lot of TV from across the pond, you have no doubt seen him in things. He's also in the Apple Plus Jason Sudeikis show, Ted Lasso, which is getting a lot of rave reviews, but it's on Apple. Plus, so I'll probably never see it. Mohammed also plays the funniest character in intelligence, at least in the early going. The basic premise of the show is that David Schwimmer is an American NSA agent sent to England to be the liaison for one of their intelligence gathering agencies. He's a cocky American. He assumes he's in charge of this British agency when he arrives, but he is not. He does butt head with the lady who's actually in charge, and she and we start to wonder if he was sent there because he wasn't really wanted by his superiors in America. The rest of the team comprised of an assortment of various kooks and weirdos, hackers and analysts and people who are almost scarily too dumb for their jobs, which is the basis of the second episode. Mohammed steals a lot of scenes as a bumbling analyst who adores Schwimmer, much to Schwimmer's chagrin. It all reminds me quite a bit of Space Force, actually. Stupid people in charge of something they are far too important for their qualifications. But I laughed out loud a few times, and even though it has some rough spots, like I said, there's only, you know, six episodes altogether, so it's easy enough to stick with it, and it certainly has potential to be pretty good. And I did have a few laughs. So uh, I, I'm in on an intelligence on showcase in the early going.
0: Yeah, six episodes isn't too bad. And that's exactly what I thought it felt like when I watched the trailer. It felt like it had that sort of Space Force vibe. And, uh, you know, when we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, when we previewed that show, we thought, well, you
1: know, even if it's just okay, it's got David Schwimmer. So yeah. And he's, it's weird to hear him swear because. You know, for a decade, he did not swear (laughs) as Ross on Friends. And then it's like, oh, whoa, Ross is dropping F-bombs. That's crazy. I should also
0: mention the other show that we previewed on that edition of The Couch Potatoes, also on Showcase, is Brave New World, that adaptation of the book by Aldous Huxley from the 1930s. And it's about a society where people are... Um, genetically engineered to be a part of a different class system. And in the case of this show, they all are connected to a wireless network through this contact lens that sort of jacks them in. So there's no privacy. There's no monogamy. They're not allowed to be in monogamous relationships. There's no uh, family history, essentially. They just, they're all part of this hive. And the first, I only watched the one episode, it, the production design is great. Like, this is a really great looking show. And they, it took a little while to get going, but they planted some interesting seeds with three very distinct characters as to how they are going to essentially bring the whole thing down because you know that's where it's where it's going that the, this society is not going to last and uh i think i'll check out more of it so that too you can watch on demand if you miss brave new world both of those shows by the way air sundays on showcase up next jeff is excited about a show that is making its way back to his tv this weekend and holy smokes i think all of canada well I shouldn't say all but much of canada was excited at what was happening on tv last weekend you're listening to the couch potatoes
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And one of my favorite shows is back this weekend after a considerable hiatus. It's season four of Fargo. They still control trucking, the unions, the railroad.
0: I see you've met my daughter. Your, your daughter? The one and only. Oh, yeah. Now I see it. Huh.
1: We need to move now. Before they get their heads on straight. This is what you call a transition of power. What are they? Decorative? A warning for the other rats. This is America, sir. Last time I checked, not Soviet Russia. I'm teaching him how the world works. And how's that? It's dog eat dog. That's how dogs work. A little more complicated. I've got a funny way of talking. I'm from
0: Minnesota, land of a thousand lakes.
1: Fargo returns to the FX Network Sunday evening after a three-year, three-month break. That season, season three, three years ago, was not its best. It was still pretty entertaining, though. It starred Ewan McGregor as twins. The show is an anthology series, meaning it has a new cast each time out and a new, different setting, always in the American Midwest somewhere and always set in a different time period. Season two was set in the 70s, season three in 2010. And, of course, the series was born out of the Coen brothers' movie Fargo with the Coen's blessing, but not their participation. Participation. That movie is one of my stone-cold absolute favorites. Of course, it's about a small-town Minnesota policewoman who investigates some heinous crimes. That's the common thread. The Midwest, heinous crimes, cops and bad guys. There are some other nods to the movie and some Easter eggs of other Cohen movies thrown into the series for good measure here and there. And now for Season 4, it's set in the 50s in Kansas City, featuring a rivalry between two crime syndicates, one of which is led by Chris Rock. The cast also includes Jesse Buckley, Jack Houston, Jason Schwartzman, Ben Whishaw and Timothy Oliphant. They started shooting it about a year ago and they got most of the 11-episode shot before the pandemic, of course, shut things down. It was supposed to air in April already, but obviously that was no longer an option. They got back up and running in August. They finished earlier this month. And Sunday's premiere is a double-episode night. Again, at Season 4 of Fargo Sunday on FX. I can't wait, Brett. And before we get out of here, Jeff, we've got to talk about the Emmys. It was insane that that Shit's Creek winning streak blew my mind. About 45 minutes into the show, I tweeted, as like, the show's been on for almost an hour now and only Schitt's Creek has won. And by the time an hour mark had hit, they had won seven of seven and swept the entire comedy series or comedy awards. I, I couldn't believe it. I've never seen anything like that before. I don't, it's never happened before.
0: Yeah, no show has ever swept all those categories uh, like that consecutively. Just a huge, huge night for Schitt's Creek. And it finally made me start watching the show. This has been on my radar since it debuted, I remember seeing the commercials and thinking, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy are leading this comedy. Why am I not watching this? But uh, yeah. it, just, it was one of those things where I, I didn't get on top of it right away. And once I fall behind on a TV show, it's almost, it just feels insurmountable. So I'm glad now that it's done. Now I know where the finish line is, so it is something that I do want to tackle because I don't think I've ever heard anybody really, well, no, that's not true. A couple of people this week said, oh, I don't think Schitt's Creek is funny. I don't know what the big deal is. But the people who swear by this show love it, love it, love it. And I loved the first two episodes. I thought Catherine O'Hara is brilliant. The whole cast is brilliant. I mean, there's, to me, there's nothing bad about this show so far. So I'm looking forward to kind of plugging my way through that. It was also a big night for Watchmen.
1: Yeah, it won the Best uh, Limited Series Movie. Regina King won. The guy, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, won the Best Supporting Actor for that show. He played um, Dr. Manhattan. And it's interesting because Billy Crudup won Best Actor in a Drama for uh, The Morning Show. And, of course, he also played Dr. Manhattan in the movie 10 years ago. That's right. That's right. Look at you so. connecting those dots. <laughs> and I just I saw Billy Crudup, who I rewatched Almost Famous, which had its 20th anniversary last week. I watched that again this week, too. And Succession, of course, won the best drama stuff and a bunch of the drama awards. And, boy, uh, like you getting on Schitt's Creek, I got to get on Succession.
0: Well, it's, and it's only two seasons, right? Only two seasons yeah. so far. And cool. it is definitely worth the, the watch because it is so intense. And season two ends in such satisfying fashion. Oh, I love the ending <laughs> to season two, so I can't wait for season three. And once again, Shits Creek, by the way, its final season will debut on Netflix. If you're waiting for it to pop up on Netflix. It'll debut on October 7th. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.